Welcome to Category 5 Technology TV. We've got a great show planned for you. We've got a guest joining us from New Data Security. Don Duncan is here uh, joining us via Skype video. And we're going to be talking about this new thing called open banking here in Canada. You want to stick around for that interview, learn all about how banking is changing and evolving to accommodate those of us that need things to be a little more technically inclined. Also, we've got, uh, we're going to learn more about how you can win Dead Effect 2 VR. We've got uh, your viewer questions, and we're going to be talking about the Raspberry Pi versus the XU4Q. And I'm going to show you exactly how big they are. Stick around. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Our live recordings are trusted only to solid-state drives by Kingston Technology. Revive your computer with improved performance and reliability over traditional hard drives with Kingston SSDs. Category 5 TV streams live with Telestream Wirecast and Nimble Streamer. Tune in every week on Roku, Kodi, Plex, and other HLS video players. For local to- showtimes, visit Category5.tv. Category 5 TV is a member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Cat5.tv slash TPN and the International Association of Internet Broadcasters. Cat5.tv slash IAIB. Welcome back to Category 5 Technology TV. Check us out online, category5.tv. Lots of good stuff there. Get involved in the chat room if you have not done that already. Exciting, exciting stuff coming up in the show. But uh, right now, Sasha, I believe we have a Gear VR giveaway. We do. The Dead Effect. The Dead Effect. Yes, VR. Amazing. And uh, we've had this contest going. We keep getting to give these away. And you can win one by emailing us at contest at category5.tv. Let us know um, your viewing location, how you're viewing, and... uh, Yeah, just that you'd like to win. Easy as that. (laughs) Just as easy as that. (laughs) Um, Tonight we are joined by Don Duncan. He is a security engineer with New Data Security. Don, it is such a pleasure to have you here. Thanks for joining us tonight. Thank you. Don, you have a a really firm grasp on a new-ish technology, something that we're really starting to see here in Canada called open banking. Can you explain a little bit for us about what open banking is? Open banking, um, in a general sense, and it's being driven actually out of the Europe and the UK, uh, really allows um, banks to open up uh, their financial institutions so that those services can be consumed and exposed to consumers um, so that uh, other banking services can be provided by other parties. So is this like an API kind of idea? Are we looking at an application programming interface? or? Exactly, and that's that's what the uh, the discussion is. And banks are going to be publishing those APIs uh, for their individual institutions. And the exciting thing about this is that there's lots of opportunities because, um, again, having the ability for those large banks to engage with other parties means that uh, it'll be interesting to see what services come out. That's cool. Now, you mentioned uh, European banks. How do banks? Here in Canada, you know, how do we fall behind? How do we differ uh, from banks around the world as far as you know what services are being offered, and, and how does open banking change things for us here in Canada? Well, in Canada, I think we do a pretty good job. Um, and when I say, say we, I, the existing banks are very responsive to their existing consumers. When you look at the mobile and web applications, uh, the ability, the way you ha- uh, have uh, the means to pay. What's happening in the UK and Europe is um, by making this um, a regulation that um, is, they're essentially setting the standard. And that standard everybody's really looking to, to say, okay, how can we take that standard and use it in our own backyard? Okay, so open banking, uh, so understanding a little bit about this is a, an, uh, I'm sorry, th- this is like an API that allows other software developers to connect into banking uh, infrastructure. Um, how is that going to be, like, I, I think about the word open, and, and I immediately start thinking about open source, uh, Linux, and the GNU image manipulation program. We talk a lot about open source alternatives here on the show. Um, 
banking as as far as the infrastructure goes has has traditionally been a very closed thing as far as us consumers are concerned how does open banking relate to that kind of model of openness if you will sure i think um not so much on the technology level but um again to your point about the apis mm-hmm. open means accessible so okay. in many instances where a bank was um really um a confined entity, by having those APIs, they have the ability to provide services through those APIs and they now become more accessible and that leads to uh, exciting services that can be offered. It sounds cool. So I now I do um, a lot of online sales. I do a lot of e-commerce. I have my mm-hmm. online shops where I sell a lot of product. Um, obviously, this is going to impact those who use like the bank's terminals and things like that. But is this going to help someone like myself with my payment processing, with being able to access or process data in a different way? Transaction-wise, I mean? Exactly. And I, that's really, I think, the key advantage is really to the consumers. And how can you streamline that whole customer experience to remove friction? And when I say friction, um, maybe some of those things that you've had to go through just to do a simple task online. Mm-hmm. The nice thing about those APIs is that, um, you know, instead of jumping around from one interface to another interface, you can now look at it as maybe the potential to have a one UI where, you know, you can do all your banking and in the back end, it allows all those things to transpire in the background um, seamless to you. Uh, without having to do many of the things that are possibly manual right now. Um, okay. And uh, I, I think that's really the key thing is that when you look at it, it's really about the customer experience, how you streamline that customer experience, but at the same time, too, do it in such a way that it's a secure experience. So from a banking perspective, it's that experience from the transaction, from the store, from the online e-commerce and the consumer. How... Connected. I mean, open platforms can be, you know, one bank can use the open platform for their own purposes. Are these interconnected? Like, is this API interconnected between different banks? Uh, the APIs, as far as I know, are uh, being exposed by the individual banks in terms of access to them. Mm-hmm. Where I think you're going to start seeing this concept as aggregation is where you have um, those third parties that are going to be able to come in and create applications that tie all this together. Mm. And um, that's the exciting part of it. You can look at this as, you know, how do I take those building blocks, those APIs, and how can I take something that I can build so that that user experience, whether it's on the web or on my mobile application, uh, allows me to do all these things. Meanwhile, in the background, I'm engaging with all these financial institutions in the back end. Hmm. Are you guys getting getting this? Yeah, I, th- I think so. Yeah, it's it's a whole new concept on how to deal with the banks and, and to wrap my head around it. I'm going, how is this going to work? Right. Very right. new like here our, in Canada. Yeah. So the services that are offered in open banking are they the same that are offered in in regular? I think that's going to be really the first step is how can you take existing banking services and expose those using the API? And then Mm -hmm. what you're you're probably going to see is over an evolution of time is those APIs are going to develop. And um, what's especially uh, interesting, especially um, being in Canada and uh, seeing uh, some of the things that are happening up here, the exciting thing is is a lot of the... um, concepts I think you see in Silicon Valley in the U.S., you're now seeing being used up in the banking community up uh, um, in terms of innovation. Mm-hmm. And I think what you're going to start seeing is a, a groundswell of innovation once a lot of the stuff has been finalized in terms of legislation, um, because that will give everybody the idea um, as to uh, what can be done and how to use that legisl- or how to use that in a way that uh, it benefits consumers. Okay. So... Oh, sorry. I have Go a ahead. question. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. with with like private banking, you have like the 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 insurance on your actual accounts, right? From the CDS. I just wanted, yeah, I just wanted to touch on this because we've had the discussion recently, right. uh, Don. With a lot of the um, the the data theft that goes on, and yeah. you know, we talked about just recently how insurance covers some of that. Like, if someone got a hold of our credit card, is that right? Exactly. So, is it the same sort of security that you have in open banking as you would? And, and I think that's that's what's going to happen in Canada is that when you look at things such as um, the deposit insurance, the CDIC, which is the deposit insurance in Canada, where if you have a banking account with X amount of dollars in it, 
um, how is that going to work in terms of protecting those deposits? Um, and, and I think that's what you're going to see is you're going to see existing insurance um, and existing financial infrastructure for regulation evolve to get to a point where it's going to take in those um, those concepts of open banking so that um, you don't have the fear that if something does happen that your de- your deposits or what's in your account is going to be at risk. Okay. One of the things that really troubles me when I go to the bank, and I know it's a silly thing, and maybe this is just me being picky, but I have a lot of bank cards. I've got my Visa. I've got like a, a portfolio of cards that I, here's my business banking card. Here's my debit card. Can an API, so understand for those viewers who aren't familiar with an API, this is an application programming interface that securely allows multiple interfaces to communicate and share transaction information, user information, those kinds of things. Can this be used for, uh, say, consolidation of cards and consolidation of services and things like that? Exactly. And I think that's, um, to your point, um, when I look at my wallet, I have a big wad of plastic Mm -hmm. still, even though I have mobile applications. And that's where um, there are market opportunities, I believe. Um, And that's where uh, it's exciting to be in the banking world especially in Canada, uh, exciting to see a lot of these smaller companies uh, and the startup mentality happening um, up in the Toronto and Canadian areas, cosmopolitan areas, and seeing, you know, how can we take those APIs, build something with it, and then present it in the form of an application where I can have this consolidated view and essentially get rid of maybe that plastic that I have in my wallet. Okay. Would it matter, like, internationally? Could you... Could you have American accounts, or can you load up in Canada? Yeah, because we're kind of talking specifically about Canada yeah, here. Yeah, but but what about international? Is is and that? I think that's I think that's the what's going to end up happening, especially over time, is that um, as there are systems developed in the respective countries, whether it's in the EU or um, it, there's discussion about it in um, uh, the US in regards to their version of open banking. Uh, we're looking at our uh, open banking. Um, each is going to be doing its uh, own thing for its respective consumer area, and then I, I, I wouldn't surprise me if at some point they're all going to join together in some form. So that, to your point, okay, um, it's just going to be a seamless interaction. As I, if I happen to be in Buffalo, New York, and then I top up there, and then I come across the border and I go to Niagara Falls, Ontario then, you know, it, um, it's just a seamless process. I don't have to worry what side of the border I'm on. Yeah, and that raises an interesting point or an interesting concern in that what happens if somebody gets a hold of the API and is able to maybe man-in-the-middle attack and find the keys and then be able to um, to generate transactions that are false? And, and this would happen on a grand scale in a very, very small amount of time. So if that happened across the border uh, to accounts that are up here in Canada, you mentioned the CDIC, the insurance that would protect us, but is, what, what happens in a case like that? And is that a real concern? Well, the, the technology exists to address that. Um, when, uh, for instance, new data security, uh, one of the key things that we do in our um, uh, as an organization is really understand who the user is behind the device. So to your point, uh, we would be able to identify, is it a form of automation or is it a real human user behind uh, the device who's connecting mm. via that API? Right. The other aspect oh, of it, yeah. too, is that you're also going to see um, tokenization. Um, so even though those APIs are uh, accessible or called open, they're not necessarily um, uh, visible uh, to all parties. And so there's going to be uh, a framework and from a security perspective to address exactly your concern or the topic you mentioned about automation. Um, could somebody, say for instance, impersonate myself and try to connect using this API? There is the, the ability to leverage other technologies to secure that. Right, and Jeff is whispering in my ear here that, you know, what if it's not a person impersonating me? Right, so I'm starting to think, okay, if you have this open accessibility, what about the implications of maybe AI? I mean, we're seeing it now where you're, there's AI all over the internet, and sometimes you can't tell that it's a computer you're talking to. It's, you know, because AI is getting so sophisticated, and how does that play into it from a security standpoint? But on the flip side, how, like, I guess essentially the sky's the limit on how AI could impact this kind of uh, open banking to say, hey, look, here's all of my bank accounts. Here's 
everything about me financially. I want to be debt-free in five years. Go figure it out. And next thing you know, the computer's running all these transactions for you to allow you to be debt-free in a certain amount of time. It almost takes the the planning out of it to give you the best leg up financially. (laughs) Well, and and to your point, uh, especially on the security side, and that's one of the things we do at New Data, is this concept of passive biometric behavior. So as an example, where you have bio, physical biometrics, where you have thumbprint or you have an iris scan or some type of physical attribute that identifies you as an individual, one of the things that we do at New Data Security is we use this concept of um, taking the way you interact with the device, very much like your um, handwriting. There are certain attributes you have when you interact with the device that it can be attributed to you as an individual that whether I'm going from an iOS device to uh, an Android device to a desktop, um, they're, they're attributes that carry from uh, you carry with you. And that concept is a concept that we can take and we can actually identify um, or evaluate the risk of, to your point, could it be uh, automation maybe in the form of AI or something? Or is it an actual real human being uh, based on the way they've engaged before in the past with um, that API. So there's a lot of things, uh, checks and balances that, um, from a technology perspective, that exist that can, I think, address some of the concerns right there on the security side. We're speaking with Don Duncan. Uh, Don is a security engineer with New Data Security. Don, um, this is, you know, kind of off in left field, but is there any kind of, this seems like, the technological evolution of banking, essentially, and we're becoming more progressively online and, you know, everything is app-driven and and, uh, driven by our computer systems and the internet. Um, Is there any kind of integration that is, you know, foreseeable with regards to cryptocurrency, which we're hearing a lot about? And and that's a good point. I think um, a lot of things are happening at the same time. Um, So when you look at the open banking concept, uh, cryptocurrency, um, wh- whether it's Bitcoin or even right now, um, the Canadian government, uh, the Bank of Canada has been looking at cryptocurrency um, in its really? own way wow. in regards to the ability for payments. I think that exactly will be uh, involved as part of that move towards open banking in some okay. shape or form. I, I think what the world is wondering right now is, will it support Whopper coin? <laughs> that's really what it, what it boils down to. You know, give me a free Whopper here. Come on, guys. Uh, okay, well, that's that's really interesting as far as um, you know the, how things are going to be evolving over the next little while. Can you give us some examples of how this is going to benefit, say, myself as a consumer, uh, maybe a small business owner? How is this going to to impact us in a positive way? Sure. Um, I think it's really ease of use. So um, looking at how can I get a financial, if, if I was one a financial snapshot of taking all my um, connection points with my banking institutions, bringing it in and providing a, a view of that at one point in time, being able to do an analysis and being able to also use that to make uh, decisions in regards to from a financial perspective. Um, instead of me having to go out to uh, one site at a time to do that, I can now get that information in a consolidated view, um, be able to make decisions accordingly, but then on the other side of it too, um, I have the ability to act uh, immediately versus hmm. before. Um, just because I'm trying to make that decision, I don't have that information, that decision probably would have been prolonged and uh, to a later time. Okay. Now, I'm... One question I have regarding the data collection end of it. If you open up, if you have open banking and you've got somebody who, say, creates an app is like, hey, this is the best open banking app you're ever going to have. It consolidates everything. What's the possibility or the protectionary piece to ensure that your personal financial information on a grand scale isn't being used for mining your data for marketing purposes. I mean, like I think of, you know, everybody's pushing back against the, you know, 53,000 categories that Facebook tracks you. Mm-hmm. Could this open the door to the same deal with banking to say, hey, look, here's what you've got for your bank accounts. This is all the data we've got on you. Here's how you spend it. So we're going to target you in this way. Is there a way to protect against that in this type of scenario? There is. And, and that, I think, is one of the things that's happening, especially in the EU and um, uh, the UK is identifying 
what is of that information is something that can be shared and what is private that can't be shared and how can it be used in such a way that it's not going to come back to um, uh, be used against you in some shape or form. Mm -hmm. And that is uh, the determination as to um, what that would look like, how that information is exposed and how can it be consumed and um, ultimately in the end is um, ensuring that you are as a consumer having what you need to make those decisions but you're not exposing or sacrificing anything as a result of doing that. Right. Okay. I have a question from the chat room. The Foo has asked um, if if banking, which it should, supports the, the smaller guys, the bigger guys, like the, the banks, they'll fight against something like open banking, will they not? Because now all of a sudden the power's in the open banking. Not. I, I think um, the with the banking industry and especially with what I've seen, for instance, um, there was a financial conference uh, that I attended, uh, Canadian financial conference, at uh, the end of last year. And, and I was actually quite surprised about um, there was representation from a large number of banks. But at the same time, too, there was a lot of smaller financial organizations I'd never even heard of before that were doing some exciting things. And... I think there is that always that concern is that is it is something new like this going to erode um, something from a business perspective? I think with the Canadian banks, the Canadian banks realize, you know what, there's opportunities here with these smaller firms who have the ability to uh, pilot. And Canada is a really unique country because um, you can pilot something here, use it almost as a beta uh, test case see how it tests here, and then use that as a mechanism to see how it translates to other parts of the world. Now, I'm thinking of the practicality of this. Uh, you know, it's great to have all the information on a phone with your, you know, or your computer in one location. But what about if you're going out to, say, a restaurant? A lot of places have, you know, you could use your phone for paying. It's like, you know, there's the Apple Pay, there's the Google Pay, all that kind of stuff. Would there be the possibility of having this type of uh, technology integrate with point of sale systems so that you would just simply wave your phone or even you know open up your banking app and just hit the supplier and boom your payments taken care of and there's no transaction so to speak is that possible with this kind of system um i i think there's definitely the possibility to to your point in regards to uh like in canada we already have that to an extent with interact and other types of payment um systems the um, I think the way um, other types of payment methods are definitely um, possible, and uh, definitely POS is is really something like for instance um, you mentioned a restaurant. Even in a situation of where maybe I've gone online and I've uh, ordered takeout and somebody's delivering something and they have the uh, the hand terminal, um, you know, is there alternative methods of payment that I can be using as a means to do that? And I think that definitely will factor into the whole API, open API conversation, right. especially with cryptocurrency and everything else. I think it's going to boil down to as well the developers of the particular point of sale application. You know, how how are they going to interconnect this with the new API? So we're speaking with Don Duncan from New Data Security. Uh, we're speaking about open banking here in Canada. Now, Don, we have a lot of viewers around the world, uh, in particular in the United States. Is this something that we're seeing uh, kind of? grow uh, on, a, on a global scale, or is this specific to Europe and Canada? How, how wide scale is this? Uh, it's, it's, I, it's wide scale. Um, I think with what's happening in uh, Europe and the UK, everybody's looking at that because they know it's going to come, and it's just a question of how are they going to go about it in their own um, area. Or their own uh, regions or locales mm -hmm. and looking at what do they have in place right now what do they need to bring it up to that level and also looking at the lessons that are being learned from overseas um, mm -hmm. in Europe in the UK to understand okay what can we learn from them and then take that and start building not just the technology but also the legislation all the regulation right, associated yeah. with it so it will form appropriately. So much to think about and stuff that I would never have even thought, <laughs> oh yeah, right, legislation, that's important as well. So just kind of wrapping up our, our discussion here, Don, and I appreciate your time and coming on the show. Um, where is this at here in Canada as far as 
are are we like a year away from this and and if so where is the security falling in line with that are we able to keep up with uh with the evolution of open banking uh, from a security aspect we are and i the technology exists right now um without even going into the open um api discussion just looking at automation um, being able to protect consumers as they're connecting um, and that um, prospect of uh, impersonation. The technology exists already to, to address that, uh, to protect consumers um, and catch the, the fraudsters who are uh, connecting. Right. Uh, so that does exist already. Uh, and it's just really back sort of Sorry, we're just breaking up there just a little bit, Don. I'll just uh, get you to repeat the last, last thing that you said there. That's okay. So taking um, really that, that concerted effort um, and really standardizing, and I think that's really what legislation and um, uh, regulation will do is standardize a lot of these things that everybody's thinking about, but how does how do we get everybody to there at the same point? Very cool. So how far off are we here in Canada from seeing this implemented? I, I understand that it's, it's here, it's ready, but when is my bank going to start offering this to the e-commerce provider and the, the, local, uh, the local pub? I think it's going to be fairly soon. Um, Legislation-wise, I again, it's it's hard for me. That's to it. Predict. Yeah. Um, I'd be guessing, but I would say definitely we're going to see. There's already rumblings. I would say um, something tangible, maybe uh, a year, two years, definitely. Awesome. Don, thank you so much for your time. Please do check out newdatasecurity.com. Find out more about what it is that they're doing. And uh, Don, I appreciate your time. Thank have, you. Have a great night. You too. This is Category 5 Technology TV. We've got to take a really quick break. When we come back, we've got your viewer questions. And stick around. We'll be back right after this. You've got mad skills. Now hone them. Learn new skills or improve your existing ones with online video tutorials and training from lynda.com through our special link at cat5.tv slash lynda. Learn software, technology, creative, and business skills you can use today to help you achieve your professional goals. Join today and start learning. We'll give you this chance to try it absolutely free with unlimited access to all of the courses. Sign up now for free, cat5.tv slash linda. You're watching Category 5 Technology TV. Glad to have you here with us. Lots of exciting things going on. Uh, I don't know about what the weather's been like in your area, but we are getting hammered right now. Welcome to Canada. <laughs> it's absolutely <laughs> brutal. It was, what, two weeks ago we had grass, I think? And now it's... I did not want to come here to do the show. The it was getting just, pretty bad there. It was, it was horrible. I've been here all afternoon, so I, I beat it. But I'm on my are. spring countdown because the days are getting longer now. Ah, yes. It's I have incredible. noticed that. The yes. days are getting longer. So now each day I, I check the time when I see it starting to get dusky. And I dusky. I, We're making up words tonight. <laughs> Get it out. Start jotting it down and for the Category Five dictionary. Because I work in a very busy clinic, I just announce it to everybody. Oh, look! It's five forty-six, and it's still behind the lights. <laughs> <Wonderful>. <laughs> then Sasha realizes Makes that all day. the lights in the building are on. Right. That, yeah. That's yeah. true. Oh. Yeah, and yeah. she works in a tanning salon. Really? No. no. Could you imagine? <laughs> I was say, how did I not... The sun is still up. What did you guys get tanning? It's like being here. We've got we're surrounded in sunlight, <laughs> and it's like pitch black outside. It's all good. Hey, I want to just say thank you very much to everyone who supports Category Five TV. Mm -hmm. There are so many different ways you can do that through our partner links, by right. shopping on Amazon, by going through our website to do so, eBay, and all the different partners with us. Patreon. Patreon's and... another great way, and now you can in fact contribute through cryptocurrency. Ooh. So, oh, cool. Yeah, so if you go to donate.category5.tv, you'll see our BTC address, our, our wallet address. You'll see Litecoin as well as Ethereum. Uh, and using those, you can contribute cryptocurrency directly to the show. Or um, if you'd like, this is what's cool about this cryptocurrency. You can actually set up a mining application on your computer, set our wallet as the recipient. No way! And then that way, if you're not on your computer and you want to just let it mine cryptocurrency... Just 
for fun. It will automatically be depositing that cryptocurrency into our wallet. I, so I love that. It's I, a neat thing. I, it sort of reminds me of the same thing as, as being a seeder, right? Now you can be... Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah it's like you're contributing yeah. back to the community. So, And what's neat about cryptocurrency, and I'm really, I'm, I'm such a novice, and I'm way behind the times here, but... Um, we had a single donation. Now, I've had my, my Bitcoin wallet for many years, but I've never used it. Right. But at one point, we did have a single donation for $1.20 worth of Bitcoin. Okay. It's worth $54 today. Wow. So by contributing cryptocurrency, the idea is that this is like, it's going to grow. Right. That's, at least that's the hope. I mean, like any stock or cryptocurrency or, or investment, it, it's meant to grow. Um, that's the whole idea. But cryptocurrency has been going that way. Yes. We're late to the game, but here's an opportunity to be able to support us in a very unique and, and that's very cool modern way. I'd like to I'd like to know how a computer mines cryptocurrency, but that's another day. Another oh boy, there's a show for yeah. you. Absolutely, <laughs> we're gonna we're in our 24 hour extravaganza about how Bitcoin works. <laughs> now we're gonna talk about Ethereum. <laughs> Robbie, I have a question for you. Yes. So, how many YouTube followers, just subscribers, do we have right now? Well, Category 5 Technology TV is its own separate channel, and it's right. about, we're growing with about 7,000 subscribers. And we say this because uh, our YouTube channel, we've never really promoted the need to subscribe because right. most of our viewers watch on Roku or Kodi or Plex right. or on our website, and some of them use YouTube. Mm -hmm. Right. And so those some start to subscribe. Now, LinuxTechShow.com, which resolves to Linux Tech Show on YouTube, just surpassed... 10,000 subscribers. Well done. So that thank you great. everyone for uh, for subscribing. If you haven't already subscribed, please subscribe to those two channels at least. Uh, we also have uh, MangleFox70. That's the pixel shadow. So if you just do a quick search on Google for MangleFox70. Uh, also, New Every Day is one of our channels, and that's a faith broadcast that happens every week from Category 5. And all you have to do is just subscribe to that channel, and then it, it brings up those numbers. Now, with 10,000 subscribers, and now 11,000, as a matter of fact, um, because it's been growing, um, with that many, we have no fear of being impacted by Google uh, pulling out of uh, monetization for the channel. Right. Yes. But for our smaller channels, we certainly do. Mm -hmm. So, Megafox 70 and uh, New Every Day are susceptible to that and having their monetization pulled. So, your subscriptions to those are going to help us to, to grow those channels. And, and also, it, it feeds money back into the and show. it costs nothing to subscribe to a That's YouTube right. channel. That's and right. And to tell you the truth, you can subscribe and then turn off your alerts. If you just... No, nah, turn them on so you get no, the new, latest shows. Right? Yeah, you can. You can, yeah. right? So, you could really, like, say you were interested primarily in just new every day right mm -hmm. you could have all of your alerts for new every day come up and this is exactly why some would say well why didn't you just put all the all the shows in one channel so that you get all the subscribers well a viewer of new every day which is a faith broadcast right. may not want to see category 5 technology tv which is a tech broadcast right and the same is vice versa if you're a tech broadca broadcast viewer, you may not want to watch a faith broadcast. I right. hope that you I hope that you enjoy all the programming that we give you, but but that's the truth. Mm -hmm. So by separating them out, the idea is that you can pick which ones you want to subscribe to. Yes. But then it has this adverse effect of oh, we don't have enough subscribers on new every day, so we've lost our monetization. Right. So that's that's how that works. I have been displaced in India. Um, uh, like what? misplaced in India? Displaced. Displaced. Jake H. says, my wife and I are vacationing in India. And when we search Google for bald nerd, oh. you come up <laughs> as the number one website, but only the number two picture. Oh. I what? wish Jake H. showed us a picture. He did, yeah. Of the number one. Hey, there you go. Oh. And there it is, and there a stock is. image. Huh. A stock image. Come on now. So you're I got some work to do there in India. I guess so. Yeah. You're the number one real. Uh, <laughs> the number one real bald nerd. I'm not a stock image. <laughs> That's funny. You're wow. authentic. Thanks. So I much. love that this whole where does bald nerd rate has kind of like taken over. It's been the last couple of weeks and people are just like, hey, here's where we're on that. Whoever expected this. I know. It, it's. This is what <laughs> I love about our viewers and you and the show. It, 
it's so interactive. Even if you're not watching and you miss a week, you can always catch up and you can watch the, what's going on in the chat room because you can read the chat logs or see the comments on YouTube and you can get involved in your own little way. I think it's absolutely awesome. Yeah, I agree. I, Who knows? I, I, I mean, from cardigans, though. from cardigans to cakes with our co-host names on them to to now bald nerd. Who knows? I feel like we somehow need to like compete with you, and Sasha and I need to find some way to you like have to, you have to start blogging. I, I do have. <laughs> you a don't blog. want to see my blogs. <laughs> I do. I do have a blog. And you do, I do now. Have a show. You so had I've, a blog. I you have, have a, blog. a show. Yes. Okay. So. Oh, <laughs> and a pilot. Have, and and a pilot. I have a blog and a show, but I only blog, I blogged like five <laughs> things, I think, and I loved doing it, but I. So that do doesn't get you to the number one place, Sasha. That doesn't get me to the number one no, place. And I did no. do a pilot for Try It Buy, which was fun. Somebody says to me, well, how can I get on the first page of Google? And I, well, you haven't changed your website in four years. Right. And so, <laughs> you know, so and it doesn't have, yeah. Well, so <laughs> it's not going to happen if, if that's the case. Now, I'm an active blogger and obviously right. I have um, my show. Yeah, I mean, the more activity that happens on your site from changing of whatever is going to cause those um, crawlers to pick up that, hey, That's we it. regularly it's need activity. to check you out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. So, I mean, if you're sitting there static, I mean, it's, you know, you, you renovate a bedroom in your house and everybody's like, ooh, I want to see this. Five years later, nobody wants to see it if you haven't changed it. Yeah, right. right. Same concept. Think of it that way. Yeah. You're like, oh. Polka dot is out. Yeah. What? what? Because you renovated it five years ago. It was in then. Ah, ah come on now. Come Behind on the now. Times. Get on top of my dry humor here, Jeff. <laughs> okay, so the Odroid XU4Q video that we posted on YouTube as the pie killer uh, has blown this up YouTube. Still, this it's is blown up still YouTube. coming up. Over 700 comments. What? And here it is. We're going to talk about it in just a minute because you may think that it's a little bit too big to be a pie killer. <laughs> Stick around. Jeff Weston, Yaman. you're building a brand new beautiful website. What? Aren't you? No. Am I? Oh, you're a terrible actor. What? This is where acting comes into play. Oh, I didn't know we were acting. You're supposed to act. Okay, fair enough. All right. I'm building a really cool website. Are you building a really cool website? Just because Jeff is confused doesn't mean you have to be. Visit cap5.tv slash dreamhost to sign up for unlimited web hosting for your website with unlimited email accounts, MySQL databases, the latest version of PHP, WordPress, and more, and even a free domain name registration. It's less than $6 per month, so sign up today. cat5.tv slash dreamhost. Welcome back to Category 5 Technology TV. So glad you're here. So glad you're joining us. Okay. We just talked about it. And we've been talking about it for months. But it's still incidentally, up. Incidentally, I built this. Yes. <laughs> this is called a Cloud Shell 2. Yes. It's a NAS case for a particular type of SBC, single board computer, called the Odroid XU4. Right. Now, folks have said then... That's so huge. It's way bigger than a Raspberry Pi. And you even said it after the show. It can't be a pie killer because it's too big. Yes, but we've since explained this. Yes. So I want to show you now. Okay? Okay. I have put, I've taken the Odroid XU4 out of the Cloud Shell 2. Okay. okay. And I have placed it in a standard SBC case. So okay. that you can see at home how magically it shrunk. <laughs> Okay, are we ready? Okay, we are ready. Oh, that's a little box. Do you see this little box? Yes. This contains two supercomputers. Oh. One is a Raspberry Pi 3, and the other is an Odroid XU4Q. Now, this box in and of itself is about the size of a paperback novel. Sure. Yeah. A little bit smaller. You yeah. have my full attention. There are the two yeah. SBCs side by side. Let's get in on, on me here so you can see. Okay, so I'm going to pull these out. This is a Raspberry Pi 3, okay? Can you folks see that at home? Yeah? This is an Odroid XU4Q. Side by side. Are you ready for this? Yep. 
Raspberry Pi 3, Odroid XU4Q. <gasps> oh. The XU4Q oh. is smaller than a Raspberry Pi 3. And yet, it has eight cores. Yep. Two gigahertz, two gigs of RAM, and it's faster RAM. It's got USB 3. Mm-hmm. It's got a barrel connector for the power mm-hmm. instead of using a USB. Uh, it's got gigabit Ethernet. Right. Lots going on for it. Uh, we're going to be showing this on the show next week. We're going to actually fire it up because that's the other thing people are asking for. Hey, you never fired it up. Well, I was showing you how to put it into the case. So now we're going to actually fire it up next week. And we're going to do a little bit of a head-to-head comparison oh, so you can see the good. difference between them. And, yes. and I can't wait for next week when we're going to have somebody comment that the Odroid is so huge. <laughs> it seems like it's it right the most consistent the comment here. we see. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's no, come on, that's the case. That's the case. Yeah. I feel uh, like it's a, like Groundhog Day. It just keeps going over yeah. and over and over. <laughs> I keep repeating myself. Uh, so speaking of viewer comments, questions, we've had a couple come in that we wanted to address mm-hmm. tonight. Sasha, do you want to take one for me? Sandrine Marquis, my question on net neutrality is, what will happen if my internet service provider wants to offer me a VoIP service with QoS for a few bucks a month? Mm-hmm. In fact, I'm u- using QoS on a daily basis on our corporate networks and providers, too. All right, so here's the thing. Okay, for those of you who don't know, QoS is quality of service. So that is where when I pick up my phone, which is using voice over IP, or when I'm using Skype for a video conference, it will slow down the other things on my network, such as somebody BitTorrent downloading or uh, watching Netflix. It will slow those things down so that the phone call does not get interrupted because I have used quality of service to tell my network that this phone call takes precedence over something that's a little less high priority. So that's a great thing. Now, here's what I think, Sandrine, and this is my opinion. Uh, my co-host can, can reiterate or um, rebuttal uh, me here. I think that that is something that should be uh, handled internally. Let's put it that way. So let me explain. So a firewall This is a device that I put on my network that allows me to block certain types of activity from taking place through my network connection to the internet. So if I want to allow people, including myself, to remote into my desktop and access my desktop computer, or if I want to allow them to SSH into my computer, I have my own physical firewall that allows me to log into that, make those changes, and set that up. That's my prerogative to do it. Where it goes wrong is when an ISP puts a firewall on their network that I do not have control over, where I cannot say, I will allow SSH connections, and they're saying, no, you won't. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to allow you to connect to remote desktop protocol because we have a firewall in place. You can't change that setting. That's where people start using VPN tunnels, and uh, we hear about governments that, that block access to certain types of content. And those kinds of things, it, that's where net neutrality says, you know what, the ISP cannot do that. That is not cool. So instead... If I want to put a firewall in-house, I can do that. If you want to put QoS in-house, you can do that. You can control your own QoS, but don't. Don't let the ISP control the quality of service themselves because I don't want an ISP making the decision of what services take priority. I wholeheartedly agree with you. Yes. Sandrine, thank you very much for the question. Jeff, you got one for me? Yes. So Sandy Lane says, every distro I try to boot from a USB drive has a grub problem. We're not talking about the bugs, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what do you call that stuff that you sprinkle on the grass? What is that? Uh, Isn't it like limestone or something that kills the No, it's like some kind of living organism. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, you're all thinking about it. Comment below. Everybody knows. (laughs) I don't. That's right. Nematodes or something. Yeah, nematodes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, so the USB drive has a grub problem. It just goes to the grub prompt. Okay. What am I doing wrong? Hmm, okay, a couple of things could be going on there. Now, your drive itself could be faulty, and so it's failing when it's creating the the Grub bootloader. Um, When you put uh, a distro onto a USB flash drive to boot from, you have to, um, you have to, um, during that process, you have to 
image it. And I've run into this where folks have taken that image file, downloaded it, and put it on the disk. Right. Just as a file. Or it work that way. like decompressed it and dragged all the files over. Right. And that may be what you're encountering. It could also be the tool that you're using to image it. I would recommend that you check out Etcher, E-T-C-H-E-R, and that application will allow you to first browse to the image file. You need to unzip that image file. That's important. So if it comes as a zip file, decompress it so that it's just an IMG. Then, uh, once you've browsed to that IMG file, you need to um, specify the target device. Easiest way to do that is to have all of your USB devices unplugged so that Etcher sees that there are no USB devices currently available. Then, when it asks you, when it's waiting for you to select a device, plug in your USB flash drive and it will be the only one that pops up. That way you don't have to risk overwriting the wrong device. Right. And also, it will make sure, because if you've got two devices plugged in, I guess there's a possibility with some applications that it might write to one disk and then put the grub bootloader on another. It could happen. Not with Etcher. Etcher's pretty good. but um, So make sure that you do that and then go with, uh, uh, click on Flash and it will go through and it will even verify that everything worked out. And if it's still not working, then I would look at the file that you downloaded, the image itself. They will always have what's called an MD5 or a checksum or a SHA file that you can compare to the MD5 sum of the file itself that you've downloaded. So if it, for some reason, got corrupted during transit, it may, you can flash it over and over and over again and it's always going to fail. Mm-hmm. Right. There's always going to be something wrong with it because the file is corrupted. Right. But your imaging application won't know that. It will just say, yeah, it worked. The image file is exactly what was written to the disk, but it doesn't know that the image file is actually corrupt. Right. So try re-downloading, check the MD5 hash, and make sure that you've got a good download before you burn it again. And on the off chance, we are actually talking about the little white larva. Get a new USB. <laughs> that might be a good idea. <laughs> yeah, you may want to get a... It may be the USB drive is faulty. Absolutely. It, yeah. can, it can happen, and they, they have a finite lifespan. So uh, that's, that's how it goes. So good luck. Sasha, are you ready to head on over to your beautiful new newsroom with the brick wall and everything? I certainly am. Oh, way to go. All right. Here's what's coming up in the Category5.tv newsroom. The Samsung Group Air arrested last year in a corruption scandal in South Korea has been set free. That didn't take long. Someone has hacked Amazon Key, the lock that allows delivery drivers to open your front door and leave your packages inside. LiDAR has once again unveiled the lost city, this time with over 60,000 Mayan houses in it. Wow. UNICEF is turning to gamers in order to raise money through cryptocurrency mining. Stick around. The full details are coming up later in the show. Whether you shop on ThinkGeek, GearBest, B&H Photo Video, eBay, or Amazon, or even if you want a free trial of Audible, you'll find the best deals and support the shows we produce by simply visiting the shopping sites you already frequent by using the links on our website. Visit category5.tv slash partners for the full and ever-growing list and help us create more free content like this show. Thank you for shopping with our partners, and thank you for watching. This is the Category5.tv newsroom, covering the week's top tech stories with a slight Linux bias. I'm Sasha Rickman, and here are the top stories we're following this week. A South Korean appeals court has freed Samsung Group Air Lee Jae-young and has reduced his five-year jail term, dismissing a number of charges against him in the corruption scandal. Lee, the vice chairman of the Samsung Electronics, was handed a suspended sentence of 2.5 years by the Seoul High Court on Monday after nearly a year in detention. Seoul Korea's Yonhap News Agency reported. The billionaire was convicted in August last year of bribing the country's then-president, Park Jun-hai, with $8.2 million in return for government backing of a business merger. The 49-year-old was also found guilty of embezzlement, hiding assets overseas, concealing profits from criminal acts, and perjury. The case led to months of mass protests and Park's eventual impeachment in December of 2016. A verdict in her case is expected in the next couple of months. Liberal politician Moon Jae-in was elected the new president in May. Hmm. Wow. So, 
how is the government and Samsung in in cahoots? Like how well how how does that happen? You have to imagine like Samsung is this massive, massive company when it comes to South Korea. Yes. So, uh, I mean, one of the biggest electronics manufacturers in the world and will do a lot, perhaps under the table, to maintain that. I mean, this goes, it doesn't matter what country you're in, this kind of stuff happens. I mean, you look at even Canada. This is just grand scale. So it stands out because, like, we're talking lots of money happening Huge. behind the scenes and being embezzled through yes. a child. Yeah, so, I mean, there was a lot of you know, improper stuff taking place. But I mean, it happens in every country. I mean, you look like Canada, you've got these big major companies, they carry a lot of political weight with the politicians if they go, hey, look, you don't do this. Yeah, sure. We're going to pull out of the country. I mean, look at the way that with Amazon's second building, uh, you know, how raised a lot of. Yeah, I mean, there, yeah, there's like the last 20 cities that have been like shortlisted in Toronto is the only Canadian city on the list. And so, I mean, Toronto's like, hey, we'll bend over backwards any way we can to get you here because that's huge. Sure. So, I mean, this kind of political inf interference happens worldwide, but this was on a, a nasty scale. This is different, though, because this is a case where um, Samsung, if you will, or through, uh, through Lee, was giving money underhandedly mm -hmm. to... Right. And, and who knows where it was going? I don't know. But, uh, like, to, to have... A massive amount of money going through uh, the president's friend's daughter's equestrian career. Right. And just kind of. Like, yeah. A, yeah. Yeah, I guess it it happens everywhere, Like, but every once in a while you get caught and it's huge. Yeah, so, so if you're embezzling billions don't, of dollars, don't be doing stop. that. Yeah. Yeah, good idea. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't take long. Someone has hacked the Amazon key, the lock that allows delivery drivers to open your front door and leave your packages inside. The key is an electrified lock designed to be disabled, up, uh, disabled using a one-time code, a facility that makes it possible for delivery workers to drop stuff off at the homes and businesses of Amazon Prime members. Prime members receive the gear they ordered from Amazon without having to hang around all day. Amazon gets sales it might not otherwise have made, and delivery staff get recorded by a Wi-Fi connected video camera to make sure that they don't steal the family silver. The devices have already been shown to have one nasty flaw when Rhino Security Labs found a way to flood the camera with junk packets to stop it recording. Now, a hacker who calls himself MG has demonstrated another attack on the key which allows access to doors locked by the key even after a delivery worker's one-time code has been used. It's unclear exactly how the exploit works, but in a video posted on MG's Twitter account, we can see it relied upon a drop box, a computer of some sort with Wi-Fi connectivity that is able to control the key. The Dropbox can both unlock the key or somehow leave Amazon's device incapable of recognizing that it's time to lock itself again. Wow, I that really didn't take long. I yeah, like we were talking about this like a conspiracy theory just a couple of weeks ago. Like, right. this could happen, right. and it already has. So this was an ethical hacker that found the exploit. Yeah, I believe so. I mean, I, I would make that judgment call because of the way he presented it. So on Twitter, he showed this can be done. Right. But then he showed how it can be done mm -hmm. to Amazon. Right. Right. Okay. So... Yeah, it can be done. And incidentally, it turned out it was a Raspberry Pi microcomputer that he used to... No way! <laughs> yeah. So, That's awesome. So you, you've seen the Raspberry Pi. It's just a little microcomputer. It's, it's and small. So, but I think because of the way he presented it to Amazon, here's how... To, and they're already working on a fix. Right. And, you know, they're, they're downplaying it a little bit. But at the same time, oh, yeah. Of course. It's scary that it already has happened. Have there been criminal That it can cases? be ha it That's true. Have That's there the been criminal incidences at this point? Well, not yet with the key, because this is a brand new thing, yeah, right? Yeah, so, so new. Yeah, but uh, I do remember a couple of years ago, um, what was it? It was at DEF CON in 2015 that uh, one of the hackers there showed a device that could open pretty much any garage door. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You remember yes. that? Yeah, and then yeah. two weeks, no, two, two months later or something like that, somebody who was at DEF CON took that information, built their own, and 
stole a bunch of cars from locked garages. Fairly in, certain I, I saw that in, in 60 seconds. I still, <laughs> kind of thing, kind I, of thing. I still so want it does to happen. quickly just give my idea once again to Amazon on how to fix this. A, a good secure like metal box that gets like drilled mm-hmm. to the outside of a house. Same idea with a key code, sure. right? But you don't enter a house. The only thing that they could get away with if they hacked it is the thing that was delivered. Exactly. Not access to an entire house. And we got talking about that previously and how we used to have the milk doors in houses and stuff. Mm-hmm. You'd open the milk door and the milkman would put in the milk bottles. Right? We have one on the back of our house. It's very cool. There you go. So yeah. if there was something like that for Amazon... If you were a frequent shopper, maybe it's worth your while to install something like that something in your house. Right. Yeah. And you want to make sure it's big enough. I mean, the amount of packages I've ordered from Amazon, oh, they're yeah. not all just little boxes. <laughs> right. But <laughs> Giant boxes like this. For yeah. the most part. Yeah. All right. National Geographic has reported that laser-touting archaeologists have discovered an entire Mayan city in the Central American jungle that has been lost for hundreds of years. From the report in what's being hailed as a major breakthrough in Maya archaeology, researchers have identified the ruins of more than 60,000 houses, palaces, elevated highways, and other human-made features that have been hidden for centuries under the jungles of northern Guatemala. Wow. Amazing. Using a revolutionary technology known as LIDAR, short for light detection and ranging, scholars digitally removed the tree canopy from aerial images of the now unpopulated landscape, revealing the ruins of a sprawling pre-Columbian civilization that was far more complex and interconnected than most Maya specialists had supposed. Here's a New York Times best-selling Here's New York Times best-selling author Douglas Preston in an interview last year on Category 5 Technology TV to explain how LiDAR works. Well, the radar technology was, they were using radar in a, as, as a way to try to penetrate and see through the jungle foliage. But LiDAR doesn't do that. The uh, LiDAR plane, um, which was used, uh, was brought down from the University of Houston, the National Center for Airborne Laser Mapping, and it has a a million-dollar LiDAR machine in it, which, by the way, was built in, wow. in Toronto. Nice. Um, and this machine, when flown over the jungle a canopy, fires 125,000 laser pulses a second down into the canopy. And then it measures the reflections. And the laser really? doesn't penetrate anything. It just bounces off a leaf or a twig or whatever. But even in the thickest jungle, there are holes in the canopy. I mean, if you go into the thickest jungle and lie down on your back and look up at the sky, you will see bits and pieces of blue sky. Okay. The billions and billions of laser beams being fired into the jungle canopy um, find those holes, huh. and some of them reach the ground, bounce off the ground, and come back up. And so what you get is a what the scientists call a point cloud, which is an incredible three-dimensional oh. image of the rainforest with every little reflection, every pixel is a reflection off a leaf or twig. Okay. And then using software, you can remove all those reflections from the trees, leaving just the ground reflections, and voila, there you have a, a map of the ground in quite high resolution. The resolution is about one meter. With this more recent expedition, Thomas Garrison, an Ithaca College archaeologist and National Geographic explorer who specializes in using digital technology for archaeological research, says the LIDAR images make it clear that this entire region was a settlement system whose scale and population density have been grossly underestimated. Garrison is part of a consortium of researchers who are participating in the project, which was spearheaded by the Pakenham Foundation, a Guatemalan nonprofit that fosters scientific research, sustainable development, and cultural heritage preservation. The project mapped more than 800 square miles of the Mayan Biosphere Reserve in Guatemala, producing the largest LIDAR data set, set ever obtained for archaeological research. Okay. I love this story for two reasons. One, I spent an entire summer in Guatemala. Oh, yeah. So Guatemala is very near and dear to my heart. I did visit a lot of the ruins. I did a lot of humanitarian work there yeah. uh, between grade 9 and grade 10. So we're talking many, many years ago. But to this day, I still think about Guatemala. Anytime there's a story about Guatemala, it, 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 
it, it's like it's it's like I said, it's near and dear to my heart. But also because it's lidar. That what the interview we did uh, about the lost city of the monkey god. Yeah, where lidar technology was used uh, at another situation. That is by far the best interview I think we've ever done. I think about it all the time. I love the book. I love the concept of it. I see lidar in the news, and I'm like. Yeah! Yeah. So this story just, I mean, gets my juices flowing. It's so cool. I <laughs> love it. In that interview, so you can go to our website, category5.tv, search for LIDAR, L-I-D-A-R. And in that interview, he talked about um, some of the other uses for LIDAR. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to know how this works and, and so realizing cool. it's being used for autonomous vehicles yeah. so, that, so that they can detect where cars are and things like that. So um, there are other uses for it as well. But being able to see from an airplane down into the Guatemalan jungle and find something like that. Like, that is huge. Oh, it's, it's amazing. And, I, I mean, I can't wait to see over the next 10, 10, 15, 20 years how many other lost civilizations or series of new information we get about various civilizations that have been lost to us where we're going, this has rewritten the book. Like, I, I think it's so cool. I... I know I get excited about technology, but for some reason, this one is just like, I'm good. Oh, absolutely. I love it. Uh, one question that's coming in is uh, that um, uh, wondering if LiDAR can be used to see through the ruins into like things like buried treasure. And I believe that the um, that it's only possible to see the topography right. and those kinds of things. Like it maps the topography, but not, it doesn't go through things. Now leaf yes. cover is a different thing altogether yes. because it's, it's, you know, it's thin, I guess. I guess when, when, well, you're, when you're in the trees and you look up, you can see some sky. So it's kind yeah. of doing the Maybe opposite, that's it. Right? It's like triangulating right. through the leaves. Well, yeah, because I mean like the whole LIDAR, it's sending like, millions of laser signals at different angles yeah. as, oh, as yeah. the plane flies over a helicopter whatever they they're using but it is a good question about like underneath the ground because i'm thinking what's buried in like the sahara desert that we don't know about oh, yeah. and could we find something there so it'd be interesting to see if lidar technology or some version thereof can advance to the point where you are able to see through it well and if if lidar was to be combined with other technologies X, x-ray technologies and so that when something is found now all of a sudden it can go right yeah. down into the ground and take a take a image of inside the ground i have no idea if that's possible in my mind it's possible because i've seen a lot of sci-fi what <laughs> i love is that here we are in the world and there's still so many undiscovered places yeah like absolutely it's, to it's, think that it's it's, it's, cool. it's been undiscovered but yet is so obviously built up mm-hmm. it's huge huge yeah. very cool it was just october when the co-founder of unicef ventures chris fabian said the company would not shy away from experimenting with cryptocurrency and the surrounding tech and now unicef is asking gamers to install mining software to raise money to help syrian children huh. unicef has launched game changers in an effort to bring together gamers from across the globe and to have them unite their computing power for a good cause. The promo says, to participate in this operation, all you need to do is install Claymore, a mining software, the Game Changers website reads. You'll be able to start or stop mining when you want and generate Ethereum right in UNICEF's electronic wallet. Game Changers mining efforts will continue until March 31st, and you can find out more by visiting changers.io. That's changers, spelled C-H-A-I-N-G-E-R-S. That's cool, and it reminds me of what we are currently yes. doing as well here at Category 5 TV, because we have that capability as well now, where mm-hmm. you can put a, our wallet in uh, uh, with Claymore or another mining software and be contributing to us. So for now, do UNICEF, and then when they're done on March 31st, and come back and change the, uh, the wallet ID to, to ours. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great cause. And at first, when I heard this, I'm going, why would you put an end to it? Why wouldn't you just keep going? But by having an end date, it kind of, to a certain degree, creates a bit of a psychological urgency. It's like, well, I got to do this now because I want to have it in right. by March 31st. So there's more likely to be a greater uptake on gamers putting that processing power into it. But knowing how difficult it is to mine a single coin, yep. a single Ethereum coin, for example, uh, even the blocks thereof, wouldn't it make sense to just say, you know, for the next year? Because then we might end up with something. I, I, don't, I don't know yet. I, I'm very curious as things grow with our cryptocurrency accounts, how 
How long does it take to actually? I can't imagine yeah, that in one month but you're going to see a lot of currency if generated. It's video game. If it's a video game that makes this happen, no, so it's it, like it's Claymore. Oh, okay, yeah. so but a video gaming computer, like which is much more powerful than very your standard powerful. desktop. Oh, yeah, that's why. Ah. Uh, yeah. And the question comes in, uh, and I, I I saw this question. I'm sorry, I didn't catch the name. It just flashed by just before the show, uh, but. Um, well, could you use older hardware right. to do this so that we could support Category 5? Mm-hmm. And the fact is, is it's very GPU-intensive. Yeah. So not CPU, but GPU. So that graphics processor, the 1070 that you put in your gaming computer, right. that's what you need. If you have a Raspberry Pi, I'm sorry, it's not going to work. Even if you right. stack 200 of them together, there's no GPU power there. So you're just not going to be able to mine anything. It's just going to sit there running all the time and never get any currency. Right. So if you have a gaming computer, that's where now installing Claymore or another mining application, putting in the wallet ID and then generating currency through the GPU while it's otherwise doing nothing. Mm-hmm. That's what's cool about it. And that's what they mean by, hey, you can turn it off when, you're, when, when I want to use the computer. I don't want to doing stuff with my GPU because that's going to slow things down. So I'll turn that off and then do my thing and then turn it back on again. Yep. And that's going to generate revenue for UNICEF Category 5 or however you're going to do it. So cool stuff. If you got a gaming computer, get out there. Help out UNICEF. (laughs) All right. Big thanks this week to Roy W. Nash and the Albuquerque Turkey and our community of viewers for submitting stories to us this week. Thanks for watching Category5.tv Newsroom. Don't forget to like and subscribe for all your tech news with a slight Linux bias. And for more free content, be sure to check out our website. From the Category5.tv Newsroom, I'm Jeff Weston. And I'm Robbie Ferguson. I am Sasha Reckman. Thank you so much for joining us this week, everybody. I hope that you've enjoyed yourself, and I I look forward to seeing you next week. Next week, again, we're going to be comparing and competing the Raspberry Pi 3 to the Odroid XU4Q. Because you want that. Mm-hmm. And so yes. we're going to show you whether or not it is actually a pie killer. <laughs> oh! <laughs> you said it. See you next week. Bye. Bye.